Impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful, actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy-to-read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the Action Bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for reaching millions of people, we dissect how successful entrepreneurs did it. We start all the way at the beginning. We take it through their journey and we show them, we show you the biggest mistakes they made so you can avoid them. I'm super excited. Today, we are talking to Sean Joel. Sean had an LED lighting business. They started in 2009. So a physical products, e-commerce business. We're going to dive into how he started that, how he grew it and then transitioned into a coaching business where he helps other coaches do the same thing that he did. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Steve. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. I am glad that you are here. I know you just came off of running a summit and interviewing a ton of people. Then Thanksgiving, hopefully you got a little bit of R&R. I'm glad to have you here. That's awesome. Really looking forward to this. So talk to me a little bit about how you started an LED lighting business. I, did you wake up one day and you were like, LED lights are the thing of the future? Did you happen to have a bad experience with one on Amazon? Like what happened? How does that, how does it one get started? Actually, none of the above. It's actually a more of a, of a family business type story. So I actually got out of university. I was studying at Rubbermaid. Um, I, I started working at Rubbermaid. If people know this company, you probably have a garbage can. You probably have a shed. You probably have some Sharpie pens. Those are all part of Rubbermaid. And I was there as a district manager for their sales teams. And we were building a the Home Depot division, basically going into Home Depots and getting their stores up and running with our products. And then what happened was my family business, so my in-laws, my father-in-law's mother-in-law and brother-in-law had this really cool LED lighting business that they had taken public. So this was actually a public business. They put a bankrupt company on the TSX Stock Exchange in Toronto. No one knows how my father-in-law did it. It's still an unknown to everyone today. They pulled it off somehow, started raising money and blew up this company through mergers and acquisitions and really started having some amazing growth. Brought me in 2004 as a national sales manager. And then you know he was buying companies and really trying to build this thing. But when the recession hit in 2006, 2007, the whole thing came crumbling down. It was a disastrous story. Bought a company that we shouldn't have bought in the US. And the whole empire, literally within one year, fell to pieces. A very sad story. But from every you know, devastating disaster comes opportunity. And my brother-in-law and I had a chance to buy back three divisions, you know, kind of 10 cents on the dollar because it was such a mess. And then we relaunched this LED lighting company in 2009. So that's how we got started in it. We could have been selling shoes. We could have been selling clothes. We could have been selling you know, diapers. I'm not necessarily passionate about LED lighting. and never really was. I'm passionate about business. So that's how we kind of got the whole ball rolling on it. So, okay, that... That is really cool. Um, and you you highlighted something. Um, I recently read a book called Lost and Founder. Uh, the point of the book was about finding yourself through like mission, but it pointed to entrepreneurs can take any business. It doesn't matter what the business is. They pointed to a couple of different things, but like you just did, it could have been shoes. It could have been light bulbs. It could be anything, right? Selling a service, selling coaching, selling a physical product. But the entrepreneur mind solves the problem and grows the business. It's about making revenue in the best way possible through solving problems and creative thought. Whereas a quote founder has some of the entrepreneurial bug, but they're really passionate about what they're doing, which 
in a way is kind of what you transition to. So we'll get to that a little bit later. So you, you bought this back, you bought back some divisions, 10 cents on the dollar, and you started growing them. But specifically, you, well, now you went from being a sales manager to being CEO. Is that your title? I was uh, my co-partners. You know, we were we didn't really have titles. We didn't we didn't have that part figured out. So we just ran the business as two owners. Okay. And what did you use to grow it? Because your your role shifted, right? I mean, sales is obviously a huge part of any business, but your role shifted, and you had I'm guessing like even though you bought it for ten cents on the dollar, like you have to start making money, especially in 2007, 2008, like you need to be profitable pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I mean, don't forget it, you know, not telling that part of the story. We actually took second mortgages on our homes. We had literally his wife, my sister-in-law, my wife, both pregnant with new babies, our first babies. Uh, You know, I mean, this thing is like high risk. We're very naive. You know, we're putting money into this thing without really knowing what we're doing, honestly. Logically looking back, if you would have given me the facts, we probably wouldn't have done this. So, you know, thankfully it worked out. But, you know, when you sometimes do things when you're young, you don't really realize. So when we got into this business, you know, yes, we had to really start making money quickly. As a matter of fact, we couldn't even get a bank to support us. We couldn't get a line of credit. We had to use this thing called factoring, which your audience may not be aware of. It's a nasty thing where a company charges you very high interest. They own your receivables. They own your inventory. And, you know, they kind of fund you as you go along. It's tough because you're paying a lot of interest, but at the same time, they're giving you funds that you wouldn't have access to normally. And that kind of led us into a bank. But what happened for us really was that we got this business going in 2009, shipped our first order in June, 2009. For the first couple of years, we were just surviving, right? Like most new businesses, it was just, let's not close the doors. Let's just make sure we're alive. And in 2012, 2013, we got a little bit of stability. But then what happened was that our biggest competitor came out and copied all 200 of our products and launched them in the market at a dollar less. Every single one of the products with the same suppliers and the same clients. And these are people that were part of our previous life and our previous business. So it was like the worst backstabbing you could ever imagine, Steve. And that was when we realized, you know what? We're in trouble. This company maybe not doesn't have legs if somebody could just come and copy all of our products, right? What's our unique differentiator? What makes us stick out from the crowd? And that's when we jumped into the Rockefeller Habits slash scaling up methodology. So... Okay. First off, like one of my favorite things to talk about is entrepreneurial scars. Maybe not my favorite thing, but I feel like it is something that nobody really wants to talk about. They all talk about, oh, I worked really hard and you know, I, I had to put my nose to the grindstone, but then I woke up one day and I had a successful business. I mean, you just got like punched in the face. Like Mike, one of my favorite Mike Tyson sayings, right? Everybody's got to play until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Um, the guy who founded Mastro's, I can't remember his name right now, but I've watched several interviews with him. And he just says, he's like, as an uh, like the entrepreneur skill that nobody talks about that everyone has is like, you just keep getting beat down. That was my timer. I apologize to everybody listening. Um, you just keep getting beat down and beat down, but you just keep getting back up. How did you feel in the morning like getting up and seeing your competitor launch all of like 200 products at a dollar less, like, and we're talking about light bulbs. So this isn't like a, I mean, that could, that's probably 10%, maybe 20% savings off of what you were selling. I'm guessing. I don't, yeah, we had you- all kinds of LED products at that point. We had, you know, uh, outdoor lights, indoor lights, all kinds of products that you could put in, in any residential home. But, you know, to answer your question, Steve, the feeling, I mean, it, it's, it's, it had a double, there was a double, it was, it was terrible because not only was it just a competitor coming after you, 
these individuals who launched that business were like brothers to me in the previous business. They're people who I really got along with. I spent literally three out of five days a week with. So they were people who I was very close with and left on good terms with. So to see them do that, that had that effect where it's this backstab, you know, just terrible feeling on that end. And But worse than that was looking at a business and saying, wow, if somebody could just come out and just copy your products and launch them to market, what do you really have? And so it really made us question, you know, do we even have a viable business here? Like, what is this business if anybody could just copy it? But you know what, Steve, it was the absolute best thing that ever happened to us. By far in my 25-year business career, the, that moment, looking back now, which is always easier to do in hindsight, is the best thing that ever happened to us, by far. Why? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear in your words, because like the same thing that happened to Michael Jordan, right? He got cut from the team, forced him to really be introspective. Go ahead, though. I want to know what came out of that. Like, what did you guys sit down and figure out over a week or two? I'm guessing it was a very short period of time. Like you had to dive deep and figure out the answer to this. What well, happened? What it did is that it sent us on a whole new journey because it made us do that exact introspection. It made us take a step back. And look at our business from an outside perspective, 25,000 feet in the air, and say, okay, what is this business? And then you start realizing, wait a second, we inherited teams, right? We bought companies. We never questioned who we were bringing on board. We just hired everybody. And now we're looking at our team and saying, wow, we have the wrong people in the wrong seats throughout the entire organization. So we don't have a very good team. Then we start looking at our product development. Wait a second, our products suck. Like they're actually, these guys copy products, but these products aren't even that innovative. And we haven't really been innovating and doing anything special on the product side. Then we start looking at our execution. We're not really shipping that quickly. We're not really sticking out from the crowd in terms of how we deliver. So we had to look at every part of our business and say, you know what? We believe in this. We believe we can be much better. And so let's go on a whole new journey right now. Screw those guys. You know, let's make it our mission to prove to them that we are 10x what their business is. And then essentially, that's what ended up happening. Actually, we've actually 30x what that company does today. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the stories so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? Check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on story selling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. That is awesome. So talk to me a little bit about like the Rockefeller habits scaling up. Was this just a random book that you bought and you were like, Hey, this looks good. Let's just like dive into everything and find something that we can use. Did somebody recommend it? And then what, what stuck out to you? And like, what did you start to implement? Cause I think there are so many business owners, right? Like we're always drinking out of a fire hose. We've always got fires put out. We're always reading something. We're always listening to something. How did that stick out to you? And how did you start to implement it in ways that worked? Oh, that, that's another really great story. You know, for us, we're part of the entrepreneurs organization. So I'm sure some of your audience knows who that is. We're 15,000 members globally. And in the entrepreneurs organization, it was actually founded by a guy named Vern Harnish, who wrote the Rockefeller Habits. So we had already been exposed to his material and this book that he had had come out a few years before. And then there were coaches that were popping up at that time. You know, now coaches, there's coaches all over the place. But then those days, there weren't as many. And so there were some coaches and then we figured out through the entrepreneurs organization, wait a second, there's actually someone who could come in and help us with this. And what's really hilarious about that process is that we wanted to hire this very senior, very well-experienced coach out of Toronto. We're based in Montreal. So we're about a six hour drive away, about an hour flight. And that coach was kind of refusing to come to us. He said, you know what? 
I'm too important. You have to fly to me. I'm from like this small business thinking, how are we going to get to Toronto all the time? But ultimately, what made the huge difference for us, Steve, was that this local coach was the only coach in the world who could speak French. And our business is actually a very French business because of the fact that we're in Montreal, kind of on the North Shore. So about 85% of our team is French. And so we said, you know what? We're going to take a chance with this local coach who, by the way, didn't have any clients. We're her first client. So she's got this methodology. She speaks French. And we're just desperate for, for outside help and for someone to come and look into our business. And so that's why we decided to hire her and start this journey with the Rockefeller Habits, which has now become scaling up. Awesome. Okay. So that's, if you guys are listening to this and you've thought about hiring a coach, I wouldn't necessarily take the first person with no clients, but sometimes taking somebody who is smaller will always work out better because that person, they, they're hundred percent on you. If you take somebody, I, I was with ClickFunnels for a long time. I love Russell to death joining his program. When I did, I met great people, but the coaching inside the program because he's grown it so big, was not the best. Great people. If I had it to do over again, I would still do it because of the way that it changed my life and my business from 2016 on. But finding somebody that has one, two, three clients is just getting going. You know that they know their stuff because you've done your due diligence. That person is probably going to give you more bang for your buck because they're as invested in your outcome as you are, right? I mean, I would think that's how it kind of worked. Um, so, you grew the business. How, how long did it take to see results from when you started working with the coach to seeing some results to like rocket fuel blast off? So it really came, it's a great question, Steve. It really came in phases. So there were, there's always this initial phase um, that you, when you get in, you bring in a coach and you start a new methodology, there's some real problems right off the start, right? The coach will help you identify. And I'll give you the perfect example. We went into this as most entrepreneurs with some preset ideas, right? We're stubborn entrepreneurs. We think we know it all. We think we already have the vision and direction. So we went into this meeting and our team wasn't very strong. So we said to ourselves, you know what? What we need to do is we need to bring in the dream team around us. So we need to bring in a VP sales. We need to bring in all these amazing, you know, uh, people are going to help us grow the business. And we're just going to become kind of the owners slash administrators of the business. And that's what we thought we were going to do. But as we went into this reflection process and started building our strategy, what we came to realize was that at that time, and we were you know, uh, just starting to get some serious revenue going at that point into the low eight figures. At that point, what we realized was, you know what? We are actually the best salespeople for the business. So my partner and I, who are actually very strong at sales, we kept that part of the business completely against our instinct, thinking that we need to bring in a VP sales and all these salespeople to take over. What we did was the opposite. We brought in a controller. We brought in a head of product development. And we really went back to our passion and what we're good at, focused on sales and found people to help run the business You know, at the mm -hmm. same time as we were out there growing the business. So for us, that was one huge you know, eye-opening uh, element that right off the bat made, 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 a, made a huge impact. Nice. And that was, did the coach point that out to you or was that something that you kind of figured out on your own? It's very organic, right? So it's definitely the coach. It's as you work through this process, which is a very specific process of identifying exactly who's going to be doing what today, who's going to be doing this in three years. So as we built our current plan versus our three-year plan and really mapping out the specific roles in the company, we just kept coming back to saying, okay, but we're going to bring in the salesperson. What are, you know, Joey, what are you going to do? Sean, what are you going to do? And it just didn't make sense in our plan. And organically, we got to the answer to saying, well, we love being out there customer facing. 
we're the best people to grow the business, but we're not super passionate about finances. We're not super passionate about operations. So why not let other people come in smarter than us, run that part of the business and let us get out into the industry. So it was a very organic process how it happened, which it often is. That's I I agree. I think there are two ways that people get to that dis- decision, right? Like they're directed by a coach and they've grown and they know that that's the next logical step. So they kind of organically get there. The other way that I've seen it is like they literally like the entrepreneur takes on so much that it, they're going to break if they don't hire somebody. And this is not the ideal situation, right? Because then they usually hire the first person that, hey, I know that Joe over there, Joe does this, let's hire Joe. And like, they're not the right fit. They don't do things correctly. The question that I hear a lot, and I would love your feedback and how you handled it, was did you believe a lot of entrepreneurs would say, no one can do it as good as I can. I don't love finance, but nobody's going to look at the numbers the way I look at them. I can't hire a finance manager. No one is going to handle, I don't know, inventory as well as I do. Even though I hate doing it, I'm not going to hire it. How did you overcome that? Was that an issue for you? Massive issue, massive issue for most entrepreneurs. I think even the biggest companies still have that issue today. Um, you know, I've heard this and I forget who actually said this quote, but it's, it's, it's a common knowledge out there. If as an entrepreneur, you're the smartest person in the room with your team, you have failed. You have failed for sure, for sure, for sure, because there's no way that you should be the smartest person when it comes to everything in your business. You know, we're talking about sales, we're talking about ops, we're talking about IT, we're talking about finance, we're talking about, you know, HR. There's no way that you as an individual can be the best at all those things. It's just superhuman, right? Because maybe one or two people in the world exist like that, but that's not how we're built. We're built that we're very good at certain things. You know, we have certain personality types and we're not as good at, uh, at other things. And it takes a, a very, very savvy entrepreneur to realize that and to say, okay, I'm going to surround myself with people who are actually smarter than me in those specific roles that I know are my weaknesses. So I think that you have to come to that realization, which a lot of our entrepreneurs don't. And I, I rarely see entrepreneurs under the eight figures even get to that point ever because, you know, usually they're wearing a lot of hats and they just feel the need to kind of control and handle everything. But what I've come to see in my experience, Stephen, you know, in our business, 50 employees, there's only seven left from the original group. So we changed 43 team members over six years. Okay. And for us, this was a massive game changer or was something, and I'm not telling you that everybody who does scaling up does this, but we came to realize that we didn't have people who fit our values, didn't fit our culture. We didn't believe in our vision. And as you start changing one, two, three, four, you start realizing that there's so many of those individuals that are not meant to be there around the table. So that's when you can start leveling up your team. And then you have to have that, you know, that, that vision a little bit to be able to bring in people around you at the highest level who are able to challenge you and really be able to bring expertise that you don't have. Awesome. I mean, the, what I hear you saying, like the echo or reading between the lines is like, it's ego-based. And a lot of entrepreneurs have a hard time saying like, I'm not the smartest because we want to be like, I'm the entrepreneur. This is my business. We're doing it my way. But it's one thing to paint the vision. And it's another to have a sense of, I think some of it is ego and some of it is just sense of, this is going to work out, right? Trusting, faith, whatever you want to call that. If you know something is going to work out, you have no problem doing it, right? You have no problem writing the check, signing on the dotted line, spending like doing whatever it is. But when you don't know that it's going to work, 
especially when you're like, I've been doing it and I do it my way and it works. It might not be perfect, but if it breaks, like it could kill the whole thing. But just stepping back and saying, you know what? There is somebody out there that's smarter than me. And I trust myself to find that person and bring them in and have them implement. I think that is the sign of a, for lack of a better term, I guess, mature entrepreneur, because that is the thing that grows your business faster than anything else is bringing in people that can take things off of your plate. Yeah, I think you've really nailed this, Steve. I think the ego part is huge because as entrepreneurs, we definitely have confidence in our abilities, but I think you've met as many entrepreneurs as I have. Most time entrepreneurs, if they built this business from the ground up, you know, they put in all that sweat, sweat equity, as we call it, you know, they feel entitled to a certain degree and understandably to being, you know, the best and most resourceful person in their business. But the reality is that, you know, until you realize that there's better people than you to be able to take on certain tasks, you know, until you realize that your business will never be able to scale the right way. It's impossible. You know, I've yet to see a business that had massive growth successfully and profitably with the owner doing everything. I've, I've never personally seen it. I've seen it for solopreneurs. I've seen it for, you know, very small businesses, but I've never seen a mid-sized business, you know, that can look back and say, oh yeah, we had this one person and he just did everything. He took care of sales, took them to the next level. He took our operations to the next level. He hired all the best talent himself. You know, he took care of the whole financial process and the, it's not, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? It's really not going to happen. And I would say to you, that's the number one thing holding back most businesses. It's absolutely the fact that they do not bring in the right level of talent. And right now, as we're living through one of the worst labor shortages that we're going to see in our potentially lifetime, it's an excuse now. So I'm seeing companies use that as an excuse to not bring in the right, you know, quality of team, which I think is a massive mistake. That's um well, we're gonna we're gonna transition into mistakes here in just a second. We've kind of gone through like where you were, how you started using scaling up, how you started hiring people. Um in your own journey with the LED lighting company, was there a moment where you looked at it and you were like, we've made it? Or do you think that there are always things that you can improve moving forward? Because i that's an interesting question to me, interviewing entrepreneurs, hearing like, do you think you're in the middle of your journey, at the end of your journey? What's going on with that? Like, where do you feel like you are right now? Well, so, you know, as you know, I've transitioned into a whole new business and a whole new model, which we'll get to. But for the LED lighting business, which I'm, you know, continue to be an active member and, and a shareholder in, although I'm not in the operations anymore, I would say that you were at a, what I would say really in the middle of our journey, as far as I'm concerned, now that we're 12 years into it. You know, when you ask that question about feeling if you made it or not, to me, the, the, the way of defining that you've made it is when the business doesn't rely on you at every single moment. And for me, obviously, having been able to walk away from the operations is a sign that the business is in a great position, that we have other amazing people, and that you know it isn't dependent on what I do or what I say or how I act. So to me, that was a very important milestone. And I would say to you on another side, it's also when the business is financially stable. So when you're no longer feeling that crunch that you're not sure if you can make payroll the next week or you need to increase your line of credit at the bank because you don't have enough funds to take on that next shipment. So those to me are the two big factors. Number one, where financial stability is there, where you say to yourself, okay, I don't have to worry as much anymore about the finances. And then number two, where the business is not purely dependent on you. And the rule of thumb is that can you leave your business for a month, literally shut down four full weeks, you're not available. You go into a cave somewhere far away with no cell phone, would the business be able to survive without you? And then could the business survive without you for three months? Those are kind of your two gauges. 
You get the one month, that's pretty cool. If you can get the three months, then you've really structured it the right way because that means the business can run without you. So to me, those would be the two measures of success. So for anyone listening to this and you're like, man, I would love to leave for a month. I just want you to think about the ego conversation we had three minutes ago, because a lot of entrepreneurs are like, the business is me. If I leave, it's not going to work. And like, they wear that as a badge, right? Like right here, like Elon Musk, I feel like he's super smart, but if he left Tesla, like Tesla stock would fall, the company would fall, Steve Jobs, if he would have left Apple and maybe they're just so smart that they couldn't replace themselves. But like in your business, if you want to get to the place where you can leave, you need to hire, you need to bring people on, you need to train up. And then you can have that because I think financial stability will also come with that because then you're surrounded by a great team and you're not doing everything yourself. Um, All right, Sean, let's pivot a little bit. So LED lighting business is going great. And you did everything through the scaling up system. And then you were like, I need to coach in that. How did you make the transition? Did you wake up one day and you were like, I'm going to be a coach or did you work with one business? How did that, how did that transition happen for you? Yeah. So it happened on a few different levels. First of all, since I'm part of the entrepreneurs organization, a very active member, I was on the Canadian board. I was the president of the local chapter. I was already coaching a lot of small businesses on my time, purely on my own time. I would you know, help coach these six to eight businesses once a month, get together for three hours and just give them experience sharing and structure them the right way so they could have some growth. So I was already doing that just as a side gig, side project, completely unpaid, just, you know, as, out of, uh, as, as a leader and as a member of the entrepreneurs organization. And then obviously internally, we were implementing scaling up. I was the person directly implementing it with our coach. So her and I worked very closely together. And then obviously the rest of the team participated with it. For me, what happened was about three years ago, as the business was gaining this stability and we were really starting to do things the right way, I also came to realize that my business partner and I, and who's my brother-in-law, you know, we had two visions and it was going to be a little bit challenging to really have both visions see the light of day and go into the right direction. And I looked and I thought, you know what, this could really come become difficult in the long term. Why don't we go with Joey's vision, who's my business partner, he's a great vision, amazing entrepreneur. I'm going to support his vision. I'm going to help him along the way. And as a matter of fact, today, as of still today, I coach my own business. So next week, we're going to our two-day you know, annual planning, and I'm coaching the entire team through scaling up, which I know sounds crazy and weird, but it works for us. And so I said, Joey, you know, how would you feel if we follow your vision? I'll continue supporting you. I'll stay involved, but I'll go out there and coach other entrepreneurs. You know, I'm not going to go and compete. I'm not going to do anything stupid on that. I'm just going to literally go help businesses scale profitably. You know, I'm really passionate about it, and I really love doing it. And so, you know, we were, it worked itself out. We spoke about it for, for a little while. I make it sound like it took two minutes. It took longer than that. But, you know, we worked out the details. And now to this day, that, that worked out very nicely. So I'm working with about 25 companies around the globe at this point to help them implement that same methodology. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's a really good story because you went through, you went through the process with a coach you scaled the business and now you're out helping businesses. I mean, I imagine working with all of the businesses, you see a lot of patterns develop. You saw the patterns probably in yourself a little bit. I want to actually ask you what happened to that first coach that you worked with. She's, still she's, a, she's a great friend. I introduced her to her husband <laughs> nice. and uh, we were, we remain, we text every week and she is still a scaling up coach today. You know, 10 years later, 12 years later, she's still coaching. She does a fantastic job. She's local. Uh, we help each other out on certain files, but we don't work necessarily directly together, but she's still very successful in what she does. And, uh, 
I would say to you, she's probably the best. She's by far the world's best French speaking coach. That's for sure uh, at this point. And uh, yeah, she's still someone that, uh, that I like to go to as well sometimes and share ideas with because we we're in the same field now. Nice. The, I mean, that speaks volumes to, there aren't very many coaches who coach on the same thing for 10 years. Most of them move around quite a bit. Is that part of the reason that you decided to become a coach? Is it because you saw what she did? And I mean, if you're involved in EO, give us a little blurb on EO. I know some about it. Um, I know some other people who are in it, but if people are wondering what the entrepreneurs organization is, tell us a little bit about that and how that grew your coaching. Cause I mean, it sounds like you were doing it for free. Then you started getting paid for it. Talk to us about the journey of that. Yeah, absolutely. So EO, the entrepreneurs organization are for founders or owners of businesses of a minimum million dollars US in revenue. So if you have a million dollar business minimum, you can join the entrepreneurs organization. What happens is you get into there and you meet a lot of other like-minded entrepreneurs, businesses of every size. I mean, I've seen businesses as small as a million. I've seen businesses as big as several billion dollars in terms of uh, within the organization. And so when you get in there, you get into a forum. And in that forum group, you're with six to 10 other entrepreneurs. You're not allowed being with a competitor and you're not allowed to be with a client. You know, we're respecting some key criteria there. You can imagine the conflict of interest that would happen if you were with one of those two groups. And once you get into these forums that we call them, they're like your personal board of directors. So every month we get together, we share ideas, we talk about, you know, family, personal business, people present, you know, I'm presenting next month on my online, the new online model that you and I've been speaking about and, you know, just to come up with ideas and to hear their feedback on it. And then we do experience sharing. So they're never supposed to give you advice. They're not supposed to say, you know what, Steve, here's what you should be doing with your business right now, right? Because that could be a very dangerous game. Instead, they'll say, you know what, Steve, here is what I did in that similar situation. Here's how it worked out, went really well, or it was a disaster. Take it for what it's worth and make your own decision with that information. So that's why it's such a powerful group because it's peer-to-peer learning. You know, you're, you're seeing conferences, you're, you're seeing all kinds of the best speakers worldwide as well. So that's the organization itself. The organization has always been very closely tied into scaling up, obviously because of Vern's founder relationship with the organization. But for me, the big thing, Steve, at the end of the day was that scaling up and Vern, you know, I think would, would be agreeing to, to say the same thing. Scaling up is a book and it's a methodology and it's documentation. That alone is not going to help you scale a business profitably, right? That's a methodology. It's academic. The big difference for me is having implemented it in my business, we learned a ton, including making mistakes again, going back to that ever so often, you know, uh, mistake making that we all get scared of. And we all say, oh, we love making mistakes because you're going to learn and you're going to grow from your mistakes. I mean, none of us want to make mistakes. None of us want to fail. You know, you don't wish to fail. You hope to learn from failure, but you're not out there actively trying to fail. But, you know, we had certain things that we learned from the methodology that worked really well and other things that didn't work and that were missing. For example, you know, just hiring. The book doesn't have a very clear hiring process. So we had to develop a super detailed hiring process, especially when you're changing 43 out of 50 people. And I was able to take those tools and now I can help my clients with them. So I was able to take a lot of what we did from the methodology, our own proprietary materials and tools and as you would know, Steve, it has a lot of credibility when I show up with an entrepreneur and say, by the way, you know, I'm a coach, scaling up coach. Here's the methodology. Here's what we did in our business. We never had a month in the red in, you know, 12 years. And here's how we grew it. I can help you do the same. You know, it's, it's usually a pretty easy sell. Nice. I would agree. Um, so in all of the businesses that you work with, I want to go through, first off, what is one of the biggest mistakes that 
you know, you said like, usually when you start working with somebody as a coach right away, they identify one, two or three big levers that you can pull on to make a difference. Working with more than 25 companies in this method, plus your own company, plus the numerous ones you worked with at EO. What are one or two of the biggest things that you see right when you get into the business that somebody can take away from this call and at least look at, go read something about, start to implement? What would be the biggest mistake or biggest bottleneck maybe? So number one is strategically speaking, most businesses have been built off an idea or some type of product or some type of service accidentally somewhat, right? There's not a lot of businesses out there that have been super well thought through, incredible strategic plan for the next five years. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to hire. Here's what we're going to sell our core sandbox. No companies have this stuff, right? You kind of get into the these smaller businesses or businesses that are not having as much success. And you start saying, okay, show me your plan. You know, show me your long-term, big, hairy, audacious goals. Show me your three-year capacities. Show me your one-year initiatives. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, we don't have any of this stuff. So I think what happens is companies mistakenly fall into a, a PO, an order, a service of, of some type, and then they just start building their business reactively based on what they've kind of tripped into and, and gotten started with, even if it's something you're passionate about, right? That's still the case. You can be really passionate about something, you figure out how to turn your passion into a business, but it doesn't mean that you've structured or planned things out properly. So, you know, I would say that's the biggest mistake. Number one is to just react in your business and not proactively take a step back and really look at it from, again, 25,000 feet to say, okay, if I was just an external shareholder to this business, not involved in it, what plan would I put in place for this business? So I would say to you, that's absolutely the number one thing that I see as a, as a big problem. There's literally no plan whatsoever when I get into most companies. I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you want to grab this tip, it has helped numerous people. One of my clients, we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step. And you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Okay, so let's. I wanted to go just a little bit further with that because I think a lot of businesses, my own included, when I started, I had, I sat down and I did like five year, like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And where do you want to be in five? Then where do you want to be in three? Let's see what we can work on right now. You're welcome to disagree with me and challenge me. I'm happy to have some conversation, but like the, in my business right now, I don't, I have like a five year, like vision. I want to kind of be over here. I know what I want my business to look like. I can say it in, it's like two to three sentences, right? But then I look at, okay, where do I need to be three months from now and a year from now? Like one year, I have a little bit, I have a one page plan for one year. And then I do quarterly planning, right? Because that's any more than that. I feel like I've seen businesses spend way too long building out like the super complex five-year plan. And three months from now, things have changed. They're going in a different direction. Is that... it? Are we on the same page? Is there something different that you would recommend? Where would you, because the other thing I hear business owners say is, I just need to stay afloat this month. How is a plan going to help me? You know what I mean? Like, I just need to be profitable this quarter. How is a plan going to help me get there? Here's the, here's the biggest issue I see, Steve, is that when we get into the businesses, they're doing about 20 different things, right? And we get in and we say, what are your priorities? Like, well, we have so many priorities. 
got to go after these 22 clients and those four markets. And we have to hire these four people and we have to restructure all the finances and we have to change all our process. Like, hey guys, chill out. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to do any of this stuff because it's way too many. And what's going to happen is you're going to just be overwhelmed. Most companies I end up walking into are a little overwhelmed. You know, they're coming Mm -hmm. in, they don't really have the, the, you know, it's rare that I, I do have some clients that it's going well and they just want to micro, you know, macro scale and just go super intense. I have, you know, maybe two or three or 5% of my companies that are that range, but most of them have hit a wall, you know? So we're getting into there and we're saying, okay, so what's your plan? And they often have this long-term goal. That's a revenue goal. So it's like, I want to do 50 million or the magic number. We make the hundred million dollar joke. Like every company that I see is like, I want to get a hundred million. And we're like, okay, awesome. That you want to get the hundred million, but no one cares. You know what I mean? Like in your business, None of your team cares that you want to do 50 million, 75, 100, 150. It doesn't change anything for them, what your number is. So we get them to right away think of things differently. So when you're looking at this big, hairy, audacious goal that comes from Jim Collins, it's this idea that all the best companies in history have always had this big, hairy, audacious goal. So we help companies build a very long-term North Star goal that you're going to march towards. And then everything has to cascade from there. So it's not just that you're coming up with these plans. Is that, okay, now that we have our big, hairy, audacious goal, what are the three-year capacities that we need to get to that goal? Okay, now what is the one-year plan that are tied into those capacities that are tied into the BHAG? Okay, now what micro actions are we going to take over the next 90 days that are going to lead us towards the one-year initiatives? And you have blinders on, right? This whole thing is you're not allowed to look outside the blinders. So you made this plan now, you just, we're going to stick to it and we're going to keep our blinders on. And you go all the way down to a monthly, weekly, and daily meeting rhythm. So it really forces you to build the right vision and to stick with it through thick and thin and to have everybody marching to that same beat. Nice. I think, I mean, having something that you can believe in and look at, like, I mean, you called it a North Star, which I think that is better than 100 million because most employees could care less, right? Because it's not really changing their life unless they are somehow monetarily compensated through reward or commission or stock. Uh, profit sharing. That's what I was looking for. So, okay. We talked about the biggest mistake, not having a plan. I want to go back to what we were talking about with the entrepreneur. Who is the first person that you think they need to hire? I know you're working with companies that are usually, I mean, they're doing over a million dollars a year, probably. What, what do you see in hiring that they need to do immediately? If somebody was looking at that, if you went into a business, what do you recommend around that? It's going to be completely different from business to business, uh, for sure, Steve. I mean, when we get in there, what we do is a, a major assessment. We start identifying right away, do they have a really strong hiring process? Do they know how to onboard and train people? Do they have strategic goals? You know, we kind of go through the four pillars, which are strategy, people, execution, and cash. So we make sure we understand where they are. Normally, when companies do this assessment the first time, the scores come out very weak. That's natural. That's normal. They have never done scaling up. And then from that point on, we're going to go through this thing called the function accountability chart, which means we're going to start looking through the business and saying, okay, who are in all these key roles today and who is going to be in these key roles within three years? And a lot of times it's the same person wearing the same hat or you have three people that are accountable for the exact same function in the business, which happens all the time. And so we get a lot of clarity on that segment. And often then that'll lead us to a decision on, okay, who is the next major hire we need to do? But sometimes it's not even a new hire. You know, unfortunately, what happens a lot, and you know, I told you that we change about 85% of our team is that the, the one thing we do identify very quickly is that there are certain people that shouldn't be around the table. You know, that's just a reality. We get into a business and say, okay, these two out of 10 people shouldn't even be here. 
right now because they don't believe in the company. They don't have the right values. And it's tough for an owner to hear that. But a lot of times it's more a fixing a little bit what's broken versus just bringing in new people to solve the issues. Nice. That's, um, I mean, laying that out, I think from, I don't have a lot of employees right now in my corporate job. I had a lot, I had over 300 people under me. And in that, like there were certain people I like, I'm thinking through my conversation, like there were people that we kept on because the, the, what my boss at the time said, the devil, you know, is better than the devil that you don't know. And I remember being like, we just need to fire this guy. There was one guy I was like, he's got to go. Like he's, he's tanking everything. And they're like, you know what? Like we just need to put our heads down get through the season. Like we've got four months to go. We can hire after that. Well, then we got to the end and they were like, just leave him on for another year. Like it's going to be easier than going and finding it, blah, 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 blah. But I think you're right. I mean, as soon as we let that person go, we saw a lot of change in positive. Like we saw a lot of positive change and growth. Um, so I think there, there's a lot of merit to yeah, that. We, we really take in, we do an evaluation and I don't care if the company has 50 employees, if they have 500, I bring in a very specific tool that evaluates every single employee. And we actually have to go within every single employee we stole this a little bit from EOS. We asked three questions. Do they get their job? Do they want their job? And are they capable of doing it? So we call it the GWC from EOS. Then we go into what I call the grid. So we have a grid saying, okay, are they what we call a promoter? So someone who believes in the values, someone who has a lot high productivity, and you literally want to clone them if you had a human cloning machine. We have the top left category, which are collaborators. Those are people who have good values, but they're not as productive as they could be, but they collaborate quite well. You have the bottom left category, which is non-performer, no values. You got to fire immediately. And then we have the bottom right, which is the worst category, which are the brilliant jerks. So those are, we call them diminishers. And these are people who are very productive, maybe even loved by your clients, but they are not team players. They couldn't give a crap about the company culture and vision. And they're all about me and not about the company. And those are the hardest employees to change and get rid of. So once we identify where these people fit on the grid, it's really easy for us then to say, okay, what's the action plan now? And if someone's protecting somebody, we say, okay, you're going to save them. Steve, you're going to save them. You're going to save them, right? Okay, we're giving you a quarter. Come back in 90 days and you tell me if you were able to save them. And then we get back 90 days later and then we say, Steve, did you save them? And you're like, no, I don't know, but it's not bad. It's going a little bit better. And I think things are going to be looking up. And then we say, okay, we'll give you another 90 days. But usually by that second or third 90 day period, it's very obvious to the manager that, you know what, I can't save this person. They don't fit the company and we have to change them eventually. So, you know, I look at changing an, uh, an employee who doesn't fit your business as a big favor for everyone. It's a favor for the company, but it's also a favor for the employee. I think that you're making, you're doing them a disservice to leave them in an unhappy position where they're disgruntled and they're not enjoying yeah. their job or enjoying their teammates. So that is, I mean, I agree. I definitely agree. Sean, you have shared a wealth of information. We've gone through your journey from, you know, being naive, buying a piece of a business, thinking you were getting a steal of a deal and then struggling and then ultimately coming out on the other side, wildly successful and now moving in and coaching businesses. If people want to learn more about you, find you online, where should they go? So definitely check out the website, elevationleaders.com. So uh, it says, uh, as it's spelled, as it said, uh, check me out on LinkedIn too, Sean Johal. I seem to be the only guy with that name there. So uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find me there, connect with me there. And, you know, don't be shy to email me, Sean at elevationleaders.com. And I'll answer. I'm quite quick at getting back to you. Steve will know this. So just uh, shoot me off an email and I'll uh, answer any questions you may have about the process. 
Awesome. All of those links are going to be in the show notes down below. If you're watching this on YouTube, check out the description. All of them are there. Sean is an awesome straight shooter. He knows what he's talking about and he's, he's just an all around great guy. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Steve, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the experience. No problem. It is my pleasure to everybody else out there until next time, take action, change lives and make money. We'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.